0: Well, good morning, church. I uh, just want to share that, you know, Ashley, and my wife and I, Ashley, uh, love this church so much and feel so privileged uh, to be with you guys. You know, we, last night we had dinner with the does and uh, that was a blast. And uh, last week we were supposed to have dinner with Ray and Ganon, and it didn't work out. actually got sick, but we're going to have dinner with them. We we just love every different aspect of this church. Love the family ministry, uh, have so many different relationships with those from the singles professionals ministry and uh, team ministry. We just feel like a family with you guys and really want you to know that and uh, just how much we really, really do love you. Uh, One quick, I know we just had like eight announcements, but we're going to have one more announcement of glory. Uh, This week coming up is a big week. On Saturday, uh, we are going to have the event Reality 14. And what that is, if you've not heard about it, is we are inviting uh, different uh, people from all over L.A. And actually some people are coming from Fresno and San Diego and Arizona to come and hear uh, the Word of God preached on this idea of sexuality in the media. And right now the media is just so over-sexualized. And as Christians, we take in so many different things that we don't even realize at times how much of our culture is built around just sexuality. And whether it's in television shows, the music that we listen to. And so we're going to address those issues this Saturday at 7 o'clock at the Warner Grand Theater. Uh, The address says Los Angeles, but it's actually in San Pedro. And uh, we're going to have a great time with over 1,000 campus students, young professionals, singles, and uh, teens there, as well as the parents of the teens that would like to come it's going to be an incredible, incredible time hearing from Guy Hammond and John Murkowski. If you'd like to register, register at reality14.com. It's $10 uh, per person, and it's going to be an incredible, incredible evening. For those that can't make it because we know that we have the marriage retreat, uh, the Thursday prior, Guy Hammond is coming in on Wednesday so that he can do for our ministry a two-part class. What it will be is the first 45 minutes on Thursday at 7.30 in the Doubletree in Torrance. It will be him sharing with everybody, a group like this, about just his life experiences as well as what he's seen uh, through just over-sexualized generation that we live in. And then for the second session, it will be for the parents of the teens and the preteens that want to know how to combat all the different things that Satan's throwing at our kids. And uh, so that will be kind of the two-part there. And uh, if you'd like to attend that, 7.30 on Thursday at the Doubletree in, I I think it's Torrance. And uh, more information will come through the the CCB there with emails. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. Amen? Amen. Today we are going to talk about engaging in the battle. Let's say a word of prayer. We've had so many different things going on. Let's, Let's focus our minds in prayer here. Amen? Dear God, thank you for this time to be able to just pray to you and meditate on your word. God, thank you so much for this church that we have here. God, thank you so much for the men and women and just how they have served tirelessly and given to your kingdom. God, I'm so thankful for just the camaraderie and the friendship and the love that Ashley and I have felt personally, as well as just being members of the campus ministry and just how much we love the work that we're doing there. God, I do pray as we talk about engaging in the battle that we can be men and women that see the spiritual battle and are willing and able to combat all of Satan's schemes. I love you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, we're going to, we talked about this concept on Friday night with the campus ministry. And uh, we actually talked about the idea of engaging in the battle when it came to Jonathan and the armor bearer. And today we're going to talk, I I felt like as I was praying about this concept and about this sermon, I was thinking I was going to do a lesson on something completely different. And the more I kept praying, the more I thought, this is something that we really need. It's something that I need, and I think that we as a, a church really need, is to engage in the spiritual battle. But you know, the spiritual battle is all around us. Let's just have just one-word or two-word answers from the audience here of where you've seen the spiritual battle in your life this past week. There's like seven works at one time. Work. Satan is there at work. Uh, Okay. Work, where else? Family. And our family, where else? Roommates. Roommates. What was that one? Driving on the 405 or the 10 around 6 o'clock. Satan is very present there. The spiritual battle is imminent. Okay? Where else? School. The media. You know, guys, it's everywhere. The spiritual battle is constantly around us. You know, at work, that we can live a double life. We can feel, you know, for me, even just cutting corners at work or cheating at work. Right? I used to work at Subway and uh eat fresh and uh i i actually liked that job because i thought when i got hired that i could eat as much uh as i wanted uh that i thought like you know at my break time i could get a huge honkin sandwich and so when I, the shifts that I work, I never work with the manager. I always work with some like shift leads. And so they would let me do whatever I wanted. So they had carne asada, I'd get double meat, I'd get bacon, I'd have lines this way on the sandwich of bacon. Not like two strips, like 18 strips of bacon. I'd have like five layers of provolone and all this stuff on there. And, uh, and so I did this one time when the manager was there, I got away with this for like four months thinking that it was legit. Then the manager comes in and goes, oh, what are you doing? I said, making a sandwich. She goes, okay, let me just count that up. Starts ringing it up on the register. I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, no, you can't. You can only get a normal sandwich, all this extra stuff. So that will be, that's a $14 on top of what the normal sandwich is. That's a $20 sandwich. And with your $6 discount for working here, you owe me $14 for that sandwich. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. And, and you, believe it or not, after she was not on that shift anymore, I, I was struggling. I was like, okay, everybody does this. I could just cut corners, right? And, and the, I know in our workplaces, sometimes it's not as stupid as that. But the idea of just cheating in the workplace, right? There can be a spiritual battle there in school. It's just constant, you know, walking on the campuses. It's just there is not a God on a lot of these campuses in people's minds. The way they live their lives, the way they act, as if there is no God. And you can just feel like, man, the spiritual battle is so obvious. Finances was one that came up on Friday when we talked about the spiritual battle. You know, just busyness, distractions. The spiritual war, guys, is going on all around us. And we're going to look at a story here in David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. Okay, of one of the most famous dudes in all of the Bible. And we're going to look at some things we can learn about engaging in the battle. In 1 Samuel, verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched the camp at Ephes-Demim between Sukkot and Ezekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. You know, this picture right here gives you an idea of, of what it looked like. On the left here, this left hill. Do I have a... No, I don't think I have a thing. But this left hill over here is where the Israelites were. Whoa! And on the right hand side is where the Philistines were. And so there was a valley in between them. And what you had is because it was such a not it was very difficult to be able to compete when you're coming, not compete, very difficult to wage war when you're coming from a lower position. What they said is, we're just going to be slaughtered. Either one that comes to try to attack is going to be slaughtered because we're both on these hills. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to send out are champions to fight. And this is a very common practice as to how to wage war. In 1 Samuel 17, we get an uh, I mean, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 8, we get a very good idea of what this guy was like. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You know, so what they would do, because they weren't willing to fight one another, is he would, Goliath would come out, and they would do, they would, each, each army would do their war cry, which I don't know exactly what a war cry is, or what it would look like, but I have an idea that it would be something along the lines like, ah, but louder, you know what I'm saying, like, ah, you know, that, that, like, like, when Tony Newsom was doing the communion, at, at times, he had a war cry in the middle of the communion, right, ah, So that would be what they would do, is they would come out, they would give their war cry, then he would say, let's do this, and they'd go, I don't think I can do that. Uh, I don't think we can do that. And this went on for 40 days. For 40 days. Now, enter David. Okay, David has three older brothers. He's not old enough to be in the army yet, but he has three older brothers that went off to fight. Right? So he's bringing them some food from his father. And so he's coming and he overhears what they're talking about as he comes on the 40th day. He, he overhears them saying all that's going to happen, all that's going to be given to the man if they're able to de- de- defeat Goliath, right? He's saying he'll be given the king's daughter in, in marriage. He won't have to, his whole family won't have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. He'll be given all this stuff, right? He's going to be hooked up. We're in April. We're getting close to taxes. You would be fired up with that. You wouldn't to pay any more taxes. So he hears it and he goes, Okay, well, let, let, let's see his response. He says, Let's do this. In verse 34, we come into him talking to the king Saul about, about doing this. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, let, let me explain this for a second. Sorry. He comes to Saul and he says, I want to do this. Saul says, Yeah, right. A, you're a joke. There's no way you're going to be able to do this. You're only like a 14 year old kid. What are you talking about? There's no way you can do this. And his response is, No, no, you don't understand. I'm serious. I want to do this. Look at how I can do this. First, This is where we come in at 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like the be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, "Go and the Lord be with you." You know, and then he goes on, and he's Saul tries to set him up with all this armor, right? And David's like, man, I can't can't do this. This isn't how I've done it in the past. There's no way that I can fight Goliath with all this armor on. So instead he goes, I'm just going to get a few choice stones and I'm going to attack this Goliath with no armor on at all. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know. That it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and fell face down onto the ground. We're going to watch a quick video here from Malcolm Gladwell as he gives us some insight into what it would have been like to be hit by this, by by, uh, David's slingshot here. Are you ready? Momentarily. We will watch a video from back in '11. Good.
1: Armed foot soldiers with uh, swords. Oh! ready? In ancient warfare, there are OK, you ready? In ancient warfare, there are three kinds of warriors. There's cavalry, men on horseback and in, with chariots. There is heavy infantry, which are foot soldiers, armed foot soldiers with uh, swords and shields and some kind of armor. And there is artillery. And artillery are archers, but more importantly, slingers. And a slinger is someone who has a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it. And they put a projectile, either a rock or a lead ball, inside the pouch, and they whirl it around like this, and they let one of the cords go, and the effect is to send the projectile forward at, um, uh, towards its target. That's what David has. And it's important to understand that that sling is not a slingshot. It's not this Right? It's not a child's toy. It's, in fact, an incredibly devastating weapon. When David rolls it around like this, he's, he's turning his, uh, this thing around probably at six or seven revolutions per second. And that means that when the, ball is, when the rock is released, it's going forward really fast, probably 35 meters per second. That's substantially faster than uh, uh, baseball thrown by um, even the finest of baseball pitchers. More than that, the stones in the Valley of Elah were not normal rocks, they were barium sulfate, which are rocks twice the density of normal stones. If you do the calculations on the ballistic, on the stopping power of the rock fired from David's sling, it's roughly equal to the stopping power of a 45 millimeter handgun. This is an incredibly devastating weapon. Accuracy, we know from uh, historical records that slingers uh, had experienced slingers could hit um, and may more serious or or even kill a target at distances of up to 200 yards. From medieval tapestries, uh, we know that slingers were capable of hitting birds in flight. They're incredibly accurate. When David lines up, and he's not 200 yards away from Goliath, he's quite close to Goliath when he lines up and fires that thing at Goliath, he has every intention and every expectation of being able to hit Goliath at his most vulnerable spot between his eyes. If you go back over the history of ancient warfare, you will find time and time again that slingers were the decisive factor against infantry in one kind of battle, against heavy infantry in one kind of battle.
0: Pretty incredible. God's got it all figured out, doesn't he? Pretty awesome. You know, but he goes on and it says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it before the sheath. After he called him, uh, killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. You know, the reason I love this story, there are so many lessons that we can learn from this story. You know, as you think about... Just specifically the men in the army. What that would be like to day after day get dressed, full you know, armor, day after day, get in the battle lines, only to have a war cry, to do the exact same thing, get freaked out, and go, I'm not gonna fight him, I don't want to do anything. What that would do to your psyche over and over again. You know, the first Couple of days, you're thinking, okay, this is, it's about to go down. War time. Here we go. Okay? You're singing Marching in the Zion. You've got the whole thing going on there. You're putting on the outfit. You're making sure that everything is tight. Okay, we're not getting, we're, we're going to do this. But then after the first week, you would have to think that you kind of go, why are, we, why are we taking this so seriously, guys? I mean, seriously, we're not, we don't do anything here. We're not really, we're not really actually fighting. Does anybody know that? So then you start going, Okay, well, I'm not... I mean, how do I look? How do I look in this armor? Man, this is... These arm things kind of make me look fat. I'll take those off. We're not fighting anyways. Right? doesn't matter. Okay, let me get... This isn't very comfortable to be in for this period of time. I'm going to kind of cut corners here on these these leg things. Let's get those things off. Okay, this is a lot better. Okay. And you start kind of just cutting corners. You go... If your warrior is not fighting, right, he's not really a warrior. And you start to kind of get a picture that 40 days, day after day, the problems that you would start to think about become less and less about the battle and become more and more just kind of comfortability, become more and more about just kind of what's going on. You know, you you go, man, we're going to be out here for a little while. I just... I want to be around some interesting people. I, I, you know, the, the guys, the troop that I'm with is pretty boring to be with during this war cry thing. Maybe, maybe I'll go stand over there. Let me go hang out with these guys. If I'm going to be out here for a couple of hours, I want to be by some interesting people. And so you, you, you lock and load with people that maybe are not necessarily the best fighters, but who cares? You're not going to fight anyways, right? Might as well hang out with some friends, some buddies. And you start realizing that for these men... A lot of this—I mean, almost a month and a half—of suiting up and doing nothing, they start becoming more of a spectator than necessarily a warrior. You with me? A warrior that doesn't fight a war is a spectator. It's kind of watching, seeing what's going to happen. And I think for many of us, that if we we can suit up, right? We can get ready. We can put on some armor. And we can come to the battle lines, but if we don't engage in the battle, then we're not really warriors. We're spectators. We're watching the Christian battle going on. We're watching adversaries stand before and defy God. But we're not really doing anything. We've got to understand that these men, they wanted to be, I think they wanted to be warriors, but... They weren't willing to engage in the battle. David was willing to engage in the battle. You know, I think for me personally, this has been a a very challenging uh, ten months. I know last week I was able to share a little bit uh, as I was talking about grace, but just how... It's been, it's been difficult, you know, just transitioning into a new ministry is difficult. Transitioning into uh, fatherhood has been very challenging. I mean, just kind of this last 10 months has brought so many good changes, but they're just tough. It's just tough going through all these transitions. And what can happen is you could, I, at least for me, I can start going, I, I just, I've got to take care of all that's going on in my heart. And my Christianity can turn so much about me, that it's no longer about Christ, or it's no longer about the battle, or it's no longer even about God, but it's just about me. What I'm going through, what I'm feeling, and so I can suit up, right? I can suit up when I come to church. How you doing, bro? Good! You know, I can suit up when I can come to midweek. I'm there. Great attendance. I can suit up by, yeah, I'm I'm going to read my Bible because that's what I do in the mornings. But when it comes to really engaging in the battle, I can shrink back. I can go, no, I don't know if I can engage in the different battles that God's calling me to engage on. Instead, I've got to take care of me and mine i got to take care of these issues. i got to take care of these things. And we can get so philosophical. I can get so philosophical. I'm going to read all these books. I love books. I'm reading a lot of books. It's a good thing to read books. But we can get so into reading books and so into this kind of self-help Christianity that we don't engage in the battle. That we don't engage in the war that God's calling us to live. And this has been such a challenge for me. And I've had to really... Look at my heart. And I want to challenge this group to look at your heart. The different battles that you've had set before you, how are you doing at engaging those battles? How are you doing at engaging in that war? Are you sitting on the sidelines and watching, hoping something happens, but just more of a spectator? Or are we being warriors? You know, these men were stricken with fear, and were just spectators. And I'm sad to share that I, I too often can be a spectator versus really engaging in the battle that God has set before me. You with me, church? You know, another aspect of this is the idea of the bystander effect. Who's heard of the bystander effect? All this psych. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, if you take psych, you've heard about it. The bystander effect is essentially this. Uh, Or it could be called bystander apathy. It's a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases in which individuals do not offer any means of help to a victim when other people are present. Okay, what that means is, it's because of diffusion of responsibility. That because there's so many people around, somebody else must help. Somebody else is going to do something. I don't have to because there's just hundreds of people, thousands of people, whatever. It's not my responsibility. Does that make sense? This woman... Oops. Well... Oh, here we go. Kenny Genovese. Uh, who's heard of Kenny Genovese? All the same people that heard of the bystander effect. <laughs> Most common. story. This is an article from the New York Times in 1964 referencing what happened. And, and just summing it up. It says, For more than half an hour, 38 respectable, law-abiding citizens in queens... New York watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. What happened is it was three in the morning. This woman, you can read the whole article, but she was screaming at the top of her lungs I am being murdered. I am being killed. I am being stabbed. Please help me. Please help me. Will you do anything? Please. And 38 people looked out their window. And saw all these other people looking out their windows and said, somebody surely is calling the cops. And so for 30 minutes, she, had been, she was stabbed and then got away. Stabbed and then got away again and then finally was stabbed to death. Which shows you that in those 30 minutes, the cops could have come. The bystander effect can be with us in the Christian walk. You know, there are thousands of men in the Israelite army. There were thousands of men standing there. And so when Goliath would call out, it was so easy to go, well, I'm not the most capable guy here. I mean, Tony Newsom is way buffer than this. You know, I'm not as strong as so-and-so over there. eh, Whatever, I won't say anything. And there was thousands, so no one really took the responsibility... That this has got to be me. I've got to do something for God. I think the same thing can happen in the church. I think the same thing can happen with us. Is we can look around and we can see so many needs. We're smart people. We, we, we are wise people. And we can see the needs of the church. It's not difficult. Because we're human. But instead of engaging, we just can be Critical. We can whine, we can acknowledge the issue without filling the gap. And the responsibility gets diffused on us because we go, there's so many capable people, look around. And there are a lot of capable people. But unless we're going to engage in the battle, then it doesn't matter how capable the group is. We've got to be willing to engage in the battle in the areas that we're seeing in this church. If you're feeling something, man, I, I you know can see this thing needs to be changed or this thing needs to be better or this can be more professional or this could be this, this could be that. That's you. That's you. We, I love this church. I, I definitely see some things that we can grow in this church, but I love this church. But I want to fill the gaps. I want to call you to do the same. To see the things and not be just a bystander, just a fan, just a spectator. But to engage in the battle in the battle that God has put before us. Amen. Then you got David as we close out here. David's heart is incredible. And there's a really cool aspect of how he he what he says. In verse 34, it said, "But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep." When a lion or bear came, and we went through this whole thing, at the end it says in verse 37, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. You know, he recognized all the ways that God had prepared him for such a time as this. He looked, and everything became about God and what God was doing versus it being about him and how he felt about it. Does that make sense? It became about God and it became about how God had set it up and God had aligned it so it would be such. And God had did it and it became something so much greater than, it, than being just, I don't feel like it. or I don't know if I can do this or I'm scared. You know, we have got to connect with this concept of what God's doing in your lives to prepare you for the different battles that you're going to engage on. God is setting you up for success. He's priming you and getting you ready to be able to overcome all the different things and battles that you're gonna fight. It's not as though he's just sending you to the whoops and just it's gonna, you know, go after it. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be good, and then he just sets you up for a horrible failure. That's not God. God is getting you ready. God is setting you up in his morning quiet times. To overcome the different temptations that you're fighting. God is setting you up in those different conversations. God is setting you up in those different thoughts that he puts in your head. God is preparing you for the battle. But David chose to think about that, meditate that, and then engage. And we all have a choice on whether or not we're going to engage and see the different ways God's prepared us for the battle. Amen? In 1 Samuel 17, the last part here, So David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, give, you all, give all of you into our hands. You know, wh- how many times does he talk about God in that passage?
1: It's all
0: about God you know how much of your spiritual walk is about God how much of your spiritual walk is about God I think a lot of times we take for granted the idea of spirituality and church being about God a lot of times and especially in America now church is about you church is not about God church is about you getting through what you're going through and yes God does bring us through but the focus has got to be on God David was a man that was focused on God. And that allowed him to engage the different things that were going on in his life. There is too much for us to handle on our own. The only way we're going to be able to handle the different battles put in our way is through God. It's through our focus being on God. We've got to have spirituality that walks with God, that's focused on God. As we close here, I want to challenge us to engage in the battle to engage, to not be bystanders, to not sit on the sidelines and just watch, but be men and women that are engaged in in what God is trying to do in this church, what God is trying to do in this ministry. Guys, I love you with all my heart. Let's say a word of prayer as we finish out here. God, I'm so thankful for today and just the ability to be able to engage in the battle that you've set before us. God, I'm so thankful for David's example. I know it's a story that we've heard many times before, God, but I love the way he engaged and made it so much more about you than him. God, I can fall so short in my own spirituality of being a man that just makes spirituality about me and not about you. He can make church about me and not about you. And God, I pray that you really forgive me. If anybody else is struggling with that, God, I pray that you can forgive us. God, allow us to be so much more focused on You and Your Son and all that You've done for us and all that You're doing in us rather than just the different struggles we're going through personally. God, I love You with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.